welcome to 7th Level Bardcast. My name's Jason, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jared and Michael. We've been gaming together for several years in various RPGs. What we discovered from our hours at the table was how much we grew from that experience. Now we're here to share our unique perspective with all of you. Today we're going to cover the topic of NPCs, synergy building. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. So, I'm starting off this time, Jason. We talked about well, this. I was going to introduce you. So that's fine. Uh, Go ahead, Jared. I I, I noticed I Mike. noticed this time you put Jared's name first as your co-host host. <laughs> what are you talking about? Do I always we say don't need the Michael and talk. Jared? <laughs> yes. Oh wow! It's yes, it's you literally do. typed you really out do. as Jared and Michael. Yeah. It was funny because I mean it lets people know that we're not you know automated. We're very professional. Anyways, uh, now that I've been introduced once in the introduction, and Jason doesn't have an excuse for introducing me a second time, uh, I'm just going to start us off here with a quick uh, little introduction. Uh, we want to, <laughs> sorry, we want to talk about NPCs this time, and particularly how to interact with players and how to have your setting set up to include NPCs and stuff like that to give them more life and make being a GM easier when you are trying to act out these characters in their tangents. I am being very distracted at the moment and I apologize. Um, I'm going to just ignore my <laughs> insignificant and childish co-hosts and continue on just giving these nice smooth talkings. Jason, save me. <laughs> I was trying to distract Michael, not you. You're not supposed to be looking at the screen, my friend. I don't understand what the problem is here. There was no immaturity in that. It's in front of me. Um, But yes, that's basically what we're going to be talking about this time. And we have a few little categories. And I will like to say that we'll probably go more in depth into world. When we go more in depth into world building, we might interact and have a small section, including these NPCs. But we're really going to focus on how to just make NPCs easier as a GM and just kind of streamline and make the process a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah, I think I think that covers what we're going to talk about today. So we uh, as as we talked about on our last and um, we kind of cover a lot of this stuff from a, a GM standpoint. And I think um, if anyone today um, has anything they'd like to put in there that maybe player-wise um, might help a GM interact with the NPCs, or uh, GM help the players interact with the NPCs, you can go ahead and throw it in there. But um, for the most part, this will cover, you know, kind of as a GM how to uh, fit the NPCs into your game. But um, So the first thing that uh, I would like to talk about is kind of I I use the words big and small, but those are just the simplistic terms for it. Really, I just wanted to... It comes down to how important is that NPC to the story. So, if you as a GM write out a character to start off with, or an NPC, and it plays a large part of your campaign, but during the play, your players end up not interacting with that NPC... I think it's it's 
Just let them fall by the wayside come back to them. Most likely, you'll end up bringing them back into the story. But that would be, if you wrote them into the campaign, that would be a big. That's somebody who the characters are going to, or the players are going to interact with quite a bit. Uh, and then your smalls are like your randoms, your, your or randos, as I put them in there. Kind of, you know, if they go into a bar and they have an interaction with someone, they might say, you know, hey, what's your name? You know, and they're going to have an interaction with this person. You may not have any information written out for them, but now it is become integral that you do. And as they interact with them, if they start to build a storyline with them and they, you know, invite them on the adventure or, or mystery or whatever it is, then that becomes a big. And it started out as a small and now it's a big. So, Jared, you there? Hmm? <laughs> um, <laughs> I am now. So, uh,. As far as that goes, do you guys have any... Uh, Michael, do you have anything you want to throw in on on the difference between those two? Um, yeah, usually uh, when I'm setting up the NPCs, I do put them into the two categories of whether they're crucial to the story that I'm trying to tell or they're part of the world building of the setting. Um, so if, uh, for example, you have a barkeep and he's going to become a regular to your story because he's kind of the contact point for the PCs to getting their next job or uh, maybe some information, he's really kind of a, a, a bigger part of your story than you would usually give to somebody like that. But if they're traveling... Um, you might want something else to play that part. Uh, it could be some kind of uh, drop point where information is dropped and that is not really an NPC, but they're speaking, they're getting messages from an NPC that they may not even interact with. But that NPC is a big one because it's playing a bigger part in your setting and the story you're trying to tell. So I do usually kind of split them into those two categories. But when it comes to the NPC itself, I think the, the most important thing that I can get across is before you sit down behind that screen, have some things to be prepared in case you have to build that rando in the background. Have a list of names, maybe some characteristics, and what their motivation or maybe what is their their opinion or their feeling on the PCs that they're dealing with. And that might change during it, but those randos have a potential of growing from a small to a big. And then, of course, your big ones can also kind of slow down and fade into the background and become smalls. So I think you have to remember to leave those interchangeable so that... You don't get stuck and pigeonhole them too much. I would absolutely agree. Uh, whenever you... Now that I've had a quick nap, um, I'm kind of more centered and I'm less rambly. And I uh, just want to say, whenever you do anything as a GM, you want to always make uh, your campaign malleable, including NPCs, including everything else we talk about. And the main reason I say that isn't to try and detract from anything but because you're sitting down at a table with at least three other people, sometimes as many as six other people, whatever you plan, 
is not going to likely come to fruition. It's going to be impacted on all sides. It's going to be taken down different routes. Players will interact by themselves together. Sometimes they'll interact one-on-one with you. Sometimes it affects the entire group. Blah, blah, blah. NBCs are a perfect case of that, as in you might have an NPC that only ever interacts with one player. You might have an NPC that always interacts with the entire group. Or you might have an NPC that's very passive. There's a lot to NPCs, and deciding whether they're big or small, or whether they're intricate or simple, there's a lot of easy terms to throw around with that. And I don't think I'd ever be satisfied with any one of them. And it's really a difficult topic. Um, yeah, I there's a word you used in there that I like, and that's malleable. I think, yeah, you know, when I was writing this out, I was kind of thinking like, you know, oh well, you got to have your NPCs that are your enemy, that like are enemies of the group, and then you got to have your NPCs that are friendlies. And then I start thinking about it. I'm like, well, you know, if the interaction happens properly between your players and that NPC, they don't necessarily have to be an enemy. Or they, the players may convince them to be friendly with them. So knowing all of the information mm-hmm. about that NPC allows you to determine, you know, what would make this, you know, person that's decided they want to be enemies with your players, what would they want to be friendly with them? And if you're your players offer that to them, then, you know, that they become a friendly. So the only thing I did include was kind of how how you can use elements to make something an enemy. I, I, <laughs> I kind of gave away some in there um, in my notes about, you know, what I used for you guys uh, psychologically to make you hate someone. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things I found is that when I make that person look down at you or talk down to you or just like hold themselves as betters than you, that's automatically an enemy. You guys automatically will choose that person as an enemy. We we don't <laughs> Well, I do have to admit though, Jason, I have used that same trick and it worked when oh, yeah. you were playing with uh, uh I used Rain. When when Rain came in you were all over him because he was just looking down his nose at you. <laughs> you were not taking any anything from him. And boy, you did not let go of that until he was dead. Didn't Bishop look down on you as well? Uh I think I think my character kinda saw that way, but I don't he wasn't necessarily trying to. Okay. I think initially he was actually trying to help me with something and I was like, No. Oh, I don't need this <laughs> jerk's help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was trying to help you a little bit, but he didn't realize that you were going to be an ally until later. So he kind of started as a bad guy Mm. that became an ally or at least a beneficial NPC. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's uh, definitely being able to work in between those those things, you know, moving a big to a small, a small to a big, you know, making an enemy a friend, making an, a friend an enemy. I think that one's probably one of the craziest things that can happen is, you know, if you do something wrong to somebody who is a friendly to the group and now they're your enemy, that's, I mean, that's pretty hurtful as, you know, the players are considered. Oh, I want to go off topic. 
Okay. Can I go off topic for a moment? I know that's yeah. all I've been doing. You didn't, I'm gonna you do didn't really get your rant in the beginning, so go <laughs> Shut up. Uh, what you just said also made me realize something that's also very important to me. And that is the difference between plot twists and shock value. A lot of uh, movies and stories use these pretty interchangeably, and I don't like that. Uh, there's a huge difference between, you know... Oh, there's two detectives looking through a video feed, and they can clearly see a bomb underneath the table slowly taking down a dinner party. And then right before the bomb hits zero, a clown comes in and murders everyone. That's shock value. There was no way that you could have told that was coming, and really, well, yes, it's an interesting thing to do, and it can be fun. It's also not a really enjoyable aspect from certain people's angle because there's no way they could have seen it coming. It was just arbitrary, it was stupid, blah blah blah. There's plenty of adjectives people throw out on them. But with plot twists, you always have hints coming up to them and all that. And that's important to me, and the reason I'm bringing this up, and the difference between these, is because NPCs... A friend going to an enemy can be a really good plot twist, or it can be shock value done well, or done horribly. There's a lot of things you can do with it, and with NPCs in particular, I view them as a huge vehicle for moving around your players, moving around your story, moving around everything. And so that's something to really keep in mind as you build these, is not only why, not only how they're big or small, whether they're good or evil, or any of these other things, how intricate or simple you want them to be, keep in mind what, as a DM, your goal with them is. Sometimes you won't have a goal, and that is fine for the NPC. And you can just rely on the NPC's own goal. But when you're story building, or setting building, or anything else, keep in mind that kind of tip, I suppose. Yeah, I'm and that didn't really have much to do with no, what we were no, supposed I'm to be talking about. No, I'm glad I stuck it out, because I was getting but, ready to be like, okay, Jared, what does this at all have to do with NPCs? <laughs> and then I saw you snap your fingers as you realized yeah. it or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, no, that is a good point. That is a good point, because, uh, and we're going to talk about that when we get into the goals and motivations of our NPCs, um, how much influence they yes. have on the trajectory of your campaign um so yeah that was i mean that was a good point that was a good point so michael um would you like to talk about our next subject which is kind of like you mentioned it before and that is the basics of you know what auto generated information should you be keeping on hand so that when people come across <laughs> randos uh, you kind of have that stuff ready yeah, so this is what's called the uh, the payoff for a joke that I set up before, although it's not much of a joke. And that's the fact that, as a game master, your players are going to throw twists and turns at you, and you need to have an NPC ready and handy. So it's always good to have a couple of randos, or even even a couple of what they call in-the-can NPCs. Uh Basically, cardboard cutouts, you just pull them off the shelf, put them into your story. However, 
in order to make them a little different than every other time they've met this same blacksmith, you want to give him just a quick quirk or dis- distinguishing mark or personality, uh, maybe even a little bit of a, a limp if he's, you know, a blacksmith. Just some kind of characteristic that uh, describes him so that they distinguish him from any other blacksmith. And when you do that, you want to make sure that you make note of those things so that the next time they come to this particular blacksmith, you've kept that consistency between the time that they first saw him and the next time they see him. Maybe something's changed in his life. Maybe there's some different qualities about it. Maybe he had an argument with his wife and he discovered that he was really an asshole and he made a change for the better. Something along those lines. Uh, maybe he lost a family member and it's made him more reflective. But you're wanting to make notes of your consistency on that. And <laughs> the last thing that you must realize when you make the, the, the NPC on the fly is you never know what your players are going to do with this NPC. They may latch onto this NPC and he may, may become like their best friend. So be prepared for them to grab some random NPC and they're going to start giving him more background and how they know him or they're expecting yeah. you to do that. So always I, have I that in your back this, pocket. Like specific yep. situation where you guys picked out some kid that to be a runner for a message for you and he got roughed up by the thugs and that, just completely my entire campaign. I mean, the campaign came, how can you defeat these thugs? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, like, keeping that information. Uh, you know, I used Michael's term in my notes today, consistency, because, you know, it, you want to make sure that you're keeping track of all of the information that you're giving yeah. to your players on this, because, like you said, you you, you never know, like... They may remember exactly what that person's name is and exactly what they sounded like and exactly what their quirk was. And if you didn't write that down and you try and replicate it and they're like, no, that's not what they sounded like. So, yeah, that's uh, important stuff. (laughs) Yeah. They will be disappointed. They will stare at you and they will throw banana peels at you and they will make fun of you and they'll call you names behind your back or in front of you and they'll say like, Man, that is just a Jared move right there. Okay, I'm glad you brought my name into this because I'm famous stuff. for doing that. <laughs> and I don't really Throwing get banana hate peels? For it. Uh yes. I I will often I don't have characters set up beforehand. I really like making characters on the fly. And I think I'm decent at it. And even if I'm not, it's something I really want to practice. Um however, I don't remember shit. So when they go back to interact with something, I'm usually scrambling to find even the name, let alone the characteristics. I usually remember certain ones, but I do really try and remember and incorporate anything that anyone tells me about. Um, how do you think I've done? Because you've probably played in the worst example of this, which is the Divided Coast. Michael. Um, well, Can you so think I of think any time that over been- time... 
over time you have become uh, uh, quite elegant with uh, creating NPCs on the fly. Um, it's hard to identify between the two. So if you've created somebody and then you put them beside somebody you've made up on the fly, I haven't noticed yet. I think that's just because uh, the interaction is what really drives the NPC to becoming more real to the player. And sometimes in my mind, I've already had a conversation with this person before, so I already have a, a vision of them. And you give me a couple of key points and I will run with it. So when it comes to your NPCs, I've, I've found that they've been easy to interact with, whether I hate or love them. Um, I can actually give you an example of an NPC that I made up, not entirely, but I made up the key points of and her, her background. And that was the noble that you went to go get Boblin from, because she was actually cooking the backbone for months. Um and she had several key points attached to her. Her maid, on the other hand, that tiefling wizard, I had no knowledge of her at all until I literally said, yeah, she's a tiefling. Here's a picture of her. Um, well, and that is also something that uh, a lot of GMs should realize is that visualization, if the players can't get it, having something for them to look at mm -hmm. instantly makes a connection and they become more than just a, a random character that you applied a few qualities to. You know what they look like, and you know their mannerisms. And instantly they become, if you have an imagination, more than just somebody you made up on the fly. And that's uh, that's a crutch I fall back on all the time. I love having images for any, uh, even random NPCs that you guys make me search the internet for. I usually have a large folder or whatever so I can just pull, hey, here's random blacksmith number number three. Um, I don't think I've reused any of them yet. I also do the same thing for landscapes but uh, I'm rambling again. So Yeah, no, I... Yeah, um, go ahead. There's something that Michael actually touched on that I wanted to uh, throw in there and I don't think I put it in my notes. I was thinking of it while I was writing them but I didn't write it down and that is... Um, if you feel like you come to a point where you're introducing a rando or someone comes up to one and you need time, <laughs> ask the players to describe that person to me. I know, like, this has been, like, I've used this in Blades or Five Aces where you guys already have, like, someone that's on your character sheet. Like, you have your allies or your foes. And if you have an interaction with them, we never established, you know, what their personality is or any of that stuff. I'll ask, okay, well, what's their personality like? And that's, you know, we ended up with Michael's beatnik purveyor because I asked him, I was like, hey, what is this guy like? And he described him to me. And then from there, I was able to build kind of a quick story in my head of who this guy was. And he was... He was easy to interact with once you had done that. You ask a few questions, and boom, he's got life. Yeah, and I think stalling, or even if it's not stalling, if you're just taking the time to ask the players, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a lack in gameplay because you're still interacting with the player, but then you can carry forward the gameplay after that. And so it doesn't stall out and never, you're like, oh, hold on, let me grab something here really quick.
It's also really good for the exact example you just set. The Blades in the Dark or Michael's hack of it have contacts. And I don't know about everyone else, but when I do those, they give you a name and then a like a three-word definition of their job. And then maybe a six-word description of said job. Like Lucy, an assassin, somebody who's hunting you, or a hired hand from the past. Right, right, yeah. And that sets me off, and I create uh, the personality, I create the image of this character and all that already when I choose them on my character sheet. So when you, and I think you've done this almost every time, whenever I go and interact with that person the first time, you go, okay, do you have any descriptions of this person or whatnot? And you ask me what they look like or what they act like or whatnot. And because it was on my character sheet, I felt responsible for it, and I already had created something that I tried to pass off to you. I don't try and go too in-depth because I don't want to create the character entirely for you, but I do try and give you a jumping point. And that would be perfect to use for even other things, and I don't do that often. I think I'm going to start doing that. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think that's something we can add into our world-building discussion if we talk about NPCs, is if you have a game where they don't have you creating those sort of contacts or allies that your uh, players have beforehand, you put that into the world building session. So I think the one thing that I would like Um, to add to this kind of basics is um, I have a sin that I've had for a very long time when it comes to game mastering. And that is I like to create two or three NPCs that have full backgrounds. Some of them have even been statted up and I stat them up to give a little bit of mechanical background as well as connect them to the setting and all of that. But in the past, I've learned I need to sometimes pull those NPCs back a little bit where they become overwhelming or they become what the players might consider a a PC that I'm running in the game and I'm playing along with everybody. I don't want them to become the the main story point. I want them to become a voice so that the players can create the story and be the protagonist. So be careful when you're getting to the basics that you don't give them too much life and they overwhelm your campaign. This also, once again, goes back to our very first session about zero sessions. Uh, know your players. Because while Michael says that's a sin of his... And while I can see why some people would be upset with it, there are several of his characters or several of his campaigns in which I wish his uh, NPCs would take a more central role or be more outspoken uh, without... Because it doesn't necessarily take away our agency in that game or that setting because of the way we are playing it. And I wish that he would do that more often And I also know there are other ideas, like I've had an idea for a campaign where the GM is basically a diplomat and the group is basically their assistants and bodyguard. And it's a highly, it's a more political, more fighting game mix. But in that one, it would, again, the GM would probably have to be the ambassador and probably have to have the final say. And a lot of players wouldn't like that, but there are some who would. 
and it just goes back to knowing them. Yeah, I, uh, I... You want me to move on to our next no, topic? No, no, I wanted to add something to that real quick. And I okay. think when you're talking about... Oh, man, I really think I might have forgotten it. All right, well, oh. no, it ties into our next topic, so why don't you just go ahead and discuss our next topic? Uh, I was... The next topic is goals and motivations, and I kind of want to split this into two, which is going to make this a longer episode than we all hoped, but hey. <laughs> Uh, goals and motivations, the real key for this is, one, the individual's goals and motivations, and then two, the GM's goals and motivations for that character. They're not always <laughs> the same. No, uh, that's literally what I was going to talk about, is kind of how to take okay. a small and... If you want to keep them as a small, but the group wants them to become a big, you see that attachment, use their goals and motivations or come up with goals and motivations that tie to the story you're trying to tell. So that even though that person may not have initially had something to do with your idea of where you wanted your campaign to go, they can now become a key component to that if you give them the right goals and motivations. So, sorry, go ahead, though. I was going to go in a bit different route of, like, the individuals are something that are very much to help you get in the mood of the character and help you decide what it is. Because if you know their goals and motivations, like, their goal, make a bunch of money. Motivation to uh, build up the prosperity of his hometown. Well, even if he wants to make a lot of money, and even if that's his first goal, he's probably not going to have a bunch of raiders raid trading routes leading to his hometown. Because his secondary goal is leading to the prosperity of his hometown. While he might embezzle money from the church of his hometown to improve their military, that might be a thing. But you can really quickly just kind of see clear-cut decisions. And it really helps to do what we originally set this episode to be, which is make GMing slicker. And that is, if you know the goals and motivations, even if you're blindsided with a decision... You can really easy just count down to three and go with what would benefit them most. On the GM side, that's not always the case because your goals and motivations for a character might absolutely collide. You might uh, have a character, using an example before, merchant, greedy, wants prosperity for his hometown. And then you might decide, oh wait, I want him to be an av a small-time adversary that hinders the party somehow. And you know what? He has a he has a huge grudge, and he believes that this person is bringing illegal goods, which is going to threaten his own town. That's why he's now going to hire brigands to attack a trade caravan, because it ha it's hindering his hometown's prosperity. And your group is goading them. That's how you can kind of... The difference between the GM's goals for a character and the character's personal goals are... I can't think of the term. Can either of you two describe this yeah, better? Michael, you want to get... <laughs> nope. <laughs> Michael, go ahead. We're at a point where me, I those got two things mean the same thing to me, and they mean two different things for you. Yeah. So, like, that's completely uh, interchangeable. We're in that again. Like, 
You used a great example, though. So let's say that the group comes into town and they decide that they want to shut down the church. So they have a squabble with the church. Well, he's embezzling money from the church. If they shut (laughs) down the church, he has nothing to prop up his town, right? But if if they then decide that they can give money to him and still shut down the church, like if they offer him money, then his quarrel with it on. So bringing, bringing that NPC into something that they started big, but then if they find a way to shut him down, that brings him back down to a small. He no longer is interested in their part of the story when they came into town. And you can still keep your uh, campaign moving forward. So I think, yes. Okay. But I have a question for you. What would you do if you had already decided that this was going to be a huge hurdle for the group and you decided that you wanted to put some combat behind this hurdle? Would you just nix all those plans and move on with the current story? Or would you try and be like, well, is there any way this still works? Because that was your original goal for that NPC, even though that NPC's goal was different from yours. Okay, so I'm going to give you two scenarios. I'm going to give you the reality and my goal. <laughs> my my goal, my goal is I'll take it and throw it away. If the story moves past, if the story moves past something that I've set up, then my goal, something I tell myself to do, is to throw it away. A lot of times, I find myself trying to steer you guys back towards that. And that's when it becomes a problem. Because if there, if it becomes convoluted to try and get you guys back to that point, coming up with garbage material as I'm guiding you back that way. So I think the better idea is to just take it and throw it away and move forward if you can. Uh. Michael, that face looks like a disagreeable face. Well, Michael, <sighs> no, I want I want Michael's opinion on this too because I think this is an interesting one. No, I, it's not disagreeable. Um, I do understand the idea of throwing something away if it's not in, intended in the first place. I, I I understand you you created this ending or this conflict, this climax for your story. And they've gone off in a different direction. What I would do, rather than throwing it away, is I'd pick out the core elements of that. And redress maybe it? Maybe the NPC and redress it. Okay. And put it to the side and bring it up later. Because while this might not have uh, shaped itself in your story, elements of it can, as other NPCs, latch onto those ideas. So it's... It's kind of like rebuilding the uh, Lego ship in a different fashion. You've still got the pieces there. Now you've got something different, and you can take advantage of, one, their knowledge of some of the the ploys and the the plots, and two, your knowledge of the ploys and plots. And because both of you are knowledgeable, you can lead them on a longer journey, and you don't have to uh, do as much exposition getting them to the end of that journey. They're already bought into that. And so you can you reuse your elements is essentially what I'm saying. Don't throw them away. Remap. 
Go ahead. Real quick, Jared, I just want to throw in that I was talking about it in terms of that single session yes. rather than the campaign. Okay. Because, that is Michael, you totally hit it on the head because I I would retool it after the session was over to try and fit it back in. Okay. But yeah. if I'm trying to do it in the session, I feel like a, if I try and fit it into the session, then that's when I turn it into garbage. Uh, okay, so. yeah. You're just going to shelf it and maybe use it in a different session entirely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that's fine. I think that in, in a in a single session that's fine. Uh I was I, I, I don't know what it is. I always think that a single session can turn into a campaign it can. with the snap of a finger. It absolutely it, it's, can. We've tried so many times to have one shots and they turn into campaigns. Campaigns, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well it's hard to <laughs> so, throw away a character they build, man. You you invest in that character and then it's hard to just be like, All right, that was a good one shot. Like my character uh Drow Billy. He was one Dad. of my favorite characters I ever made, and I only played with him in one. <laughs> I don't even know who I that character Drow is, Billy. and I'm not sure I want to. He was oh, Drow Billy was great. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's uh, basically a hillbilly Drow uh-huh. that wants to become rich, but has no idea how to do that. Like his idea of becoming rich is um fantasy like it's a fantasy in his head it's something that he's come up with like this is how you're supposed to do that but it's not actually how you're supposed to do that so <laughs> which is kind of a uh, theme for some of my characters that's the same way burner was like he had an idea of how he was supposed to act rich and but it wasn't anywhere close to actually how rich people acted <laughs> but anyway um so yes jared well um I think there is a way that those two subjects can tie together, but I think it is important to keep them separate in your mind. What are the motivations of and goals of you as a GM for your campaign, and how do those singularly ones fit together uh, with your campaign? Think of them as separate entities. Okay. So, you're now on my side? <laughs> Question mark? I... I I think you have a good point. Uh, just for me, okay. I had to think about how those aren't the same thing. You've, you've thought it through, and now you you understand what I was saying. Okay. Because I, I, I was confused if you had realized that you would have repeated what They're I was saying. They're still the or... same thing to me. I, I know they are. That's what I was trying to get you to admit, I'll be honest. Now that you've admitted your dog secrets, let's continue. Um, I'm just... I'm going to be the contrarian and say they are not the same thing. Okay, all right. Cool. Okay, so we got two votes uh, for no them, they're not, and one vote for they are, therefore majority wins? Yeah, no, they're definitely not, and that's why I wanted to make sure that you... I said it out loud that they're <laughs> separate things, but when I run a game, for me personally, they are the same thing. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, funnily enough. Or at least I think I do. I don't know for sure. I probably never will. Uh, let's move I on from... Cry. I don't... You know what? Uh, so... Yeah, let's move on to voices no, and no, 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 no. We're still talking about goals and oh, motivation. Okay. <laughs> okay. We want to talk about just kind of how to set those up real quick, I think, is kind of important. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's true. So... I may not do it the exact same way as you, but I learned how using sort of uh, goals and motivations of your NPC can help you drive your campaign. Right. So what Jason's talking about is uh, one of the first 
times that I really ran a, a solid long form game was our Vampire the Requiem game. And I had explained to him as after playing a few sessions, these NPCs that he was interacting with, I had already established what their goals were at their creation. And then after each session, I reevaluated their goals and what they were doing while the PCs were off doing whatever they were doing. And most of the time, what those NPCs were doing was not going to cross paths with the PCs at all. I could write down a few notes of what they were doing in the background, and if the PCs ever decided for some reason to go to a random hotel room to track somebody down, they happened to run into the NPC that was pulling the strings. They stumbled across this guy and set the, the room on fire. It was funny. I laughed for a while. But as I explained to Jason later, I knew exactly where that NPC was. And when they went that direction, I smiled a little bit on the inside because I couldn't have predicted that. So the element is setting up the NPC. He has goals and he has motivations. But you also need to track his movement when he's out of the picture. It's that off-screen movement and motivation that helps you shape your story. So in this particular <laughs> session, Jason and Kit had gone off and they were tracking down... I believe they were tracking down a woman that had been recently turned. And she had a room at this hotel and they went to investigate. Well... The guy who had turned her was also there. He was trying to gather up her her things to remove evidence and and basically point it in the, somebody else's direction and blame them for her her turn uh, because in vampire society it's really against their laws unless you get permitted. And so they just happened to be there at the same time because I had already set it up that he was going to be there and doing all these things in the background. So when I set up an NPC, I kind of know, I track his movements and, and what he's actually doing. So when it comes to the creation, that's, that's kind of after I've made them up, maybe statted them out, give them a description. Then I say, oh, okay, what is it that he's doing or she? What are they doing in the background? And I usually have an answer for that before I start the session. Yeah, and Michael, uh, and that's how Michael explained it to me. It was kind of a, a of a timeline style ish, where you know he had an idea of what they were doing, where they were going. So if we came into them and interacted with them, we would know. And mine, the way I write mine now, it's a little bit different. Like I said, I I don't use that same exact formula, but I use the uh, idea. And so for me, what I do is I'll just write out, uh, I usually it's about 10 questions and I'll involve most of my NPCs in those questions. I'm like, what is this person doing? Uh, or, you know, what do they care about this that happened? Or, you know, why are they this? You know, if I look at, you know, the sessions that we've had in previously, I find it pretty easy to come up with a list of questions. And once I have those questions answered, then I have a good idea of what everybody is doing, what their, you know, what their 
ah, goodness, how they feel towards the players. So, like, you know, something has happened, obviously, and most likely this NPC has heard about it. How do they feel about it? And so if they ever run into the the uh, characters, they'll, you know, I mean, it's, there's no question about what how they're going to react because I've already answered that question, so. And as far as where they are, a lot of times I kind of just throw them in to make it fit. So. <laughs> and and sometimes uh, what can happen is if you can track their movements, you can also debunk some of the other things and leave evidence that they really weren't involved in this thing. Take, for example, in my L5R game, I have an NPC that was in the background pulling the strings and I I had to make note of where she was at all times because I wasn't sure if the players were going to chase after her or uh, track her down. And then recently somebody tried to twist the story and they were trying to convince me, well, it's, it's all her fault. Well, in the back of my mind, I knew exactly where she was, so they couldn't do that. And I had to play it out, uh, and exp- I actually started out with ex- explanation, and then we played it out, and there was proof to show that that individual NPC was not involved, couldn't have been involved. So kind of helps when your story <laughs> starts to go off the tracks because somebody uh, is trying to redirect it for you. Because... Um, whether we all understand improv to to be kind of that motion of going forward, sometimes you can have somebody that adds a bad idea to it and the improv doesn't work. So if you're doing a, a word session where you're trying to make a sentence between three people and somebody keeps saying and, you're just going to keep saying the same thing over and over again. You're never going to make a sentence. So the story goes nowhere. So I, I've kind of learned that using the NPCs the way I do it allows me to improv, but also make sure that the improvisation doesn't go down a dark path or just get spun, spun out of control and make no sense. Jared, did you have anything you wanted to add in on that? Um, I actually wanted to reach out to you, uh, Michael, because I don't think Jason's ever seen me interact with too much with NPCs besides the one that I create for his setting and ask if it seems like I do the a similar thing or not from your view. Well, now that I've peeked behind your screen and you've told me that some of these NPCs I thought you had been dancing around in front of me for <laughs> ages were now just randoms that you created five seconds before we met them. Um... I think sometimes that you do have a way of of having them where you need them to be for your story. Now, whether you're tracking them in the background, I can't really tell. But nothing seems like the thing that I try to avoid when it comes to NPCs just randomly popping up when you need them is getting rid of that fear of a Deus Ex Machina, where you're just putting these NPCs in there. To save the PCs from a terrible yes. uh, decision. Uh, so I, I, I think that um, you and Jason have both avoided ever 
presenting, in my mind, a deus ex machina that saves the party. We usually have to find our way out of it, or we get our ass kicked. That's good to hear, because um, I, I would like to do what you do. I don't have the attention span nor the memory to do so. So what I do instead is I follow that goals and motivation thing that we were talking about. And I decide whether they have a reason to be in the nearby area. And if it's no, it's tossed out the window immediately, except for a dice roll. Sometimes I'll roll a dice to see if they're just pure chance. However, if they do have a reason to be in the area, then I look at it more closely. Do they have a reason to be interacting exactly with or against what you are currently doing? And then I just kind of keep going down that branch until they're either eliminated or they're in direct conflict with you. And that kind of decides where they're located at. If they're in the vicinity, but they have nothing to do with what you guys are currently doing, you might run into them if you go into the area they're at. And that's decided almost immediately within seconds on the fly as a yes or no, just kind of haphazard thing. Because I can't do it another way. And I'll be honest, listening to you guys talk about it, <laughs> I was really scared that it was apparent that I was doing that. But because you've been nice to me, Michael, <laughs> um, I'm a bit more confident that I at least have a semi-balance, even if I don't realize it myself, of when I inject the characters or not. Go ahead. But you, I mean, you did touch on a key point, and that is, you know their goals and motivations. Yes. And when you know that, it makes it a lot easier to decide, you know, what they're going to do, how they're going to be, how they're going to interact, and whether or not they're going to be there, whether or not they're going to, exactly, you know, be around. So. And I think something that helps, and that's in this section that Jason has written up, and that is between sessions, having that kind of Q&A with, with the oh, players... Yeah. I do that with the players, but I also do it with myself when I'm writing down my notes for the next time. Because, you know, if I've got an NPC that's been kind of stringing along the story, I ask the players, you know, what they're planning on doing. And based off of what they're planning on doing, I start asking the same questions. Well, what's this NPC going to do? And I'll write down those notes and I know kind of where they're going for the next session. Yeah, and I do the exact same thing, which helps me tr be accurate about their motivations and goals. Whether it's the NPCs interacting or achieving their goals, which changes them, or if it's direct interaction with the players, and thus they convince the NPC to change or modify their goals. Perfect example, that noble lady I was talking about. Uh, she was originally supposed to just be kind of a creepy parrot who was just going to give you back the person that she had kidnapped. And then you royally pissed her off, and she wanted to kill you all. And then you're now trying to modify a deal with her and appease her anger. That was a I whirlwind think that that's of change. Common. I think that's a common thing, because I've done it to... I know it's happened in Jason's game. Uh, my poor, dumb warlock. I don't know how many times we... We just kind of said, okay, well, we're going to do this, and then we would get sent off in a different direction, but we would end up making that U-turn and going back and doing whatever we wanted anyway, so, yeah. And that's... We're, 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 we're going to mess things up. Yeah. And that 
was honestly very hard to track. But I did just kind of keep in mind your past interactions and made sure that I did that whatever you did or whatever other uh, events happened in the nearby area actually had a valid impact on her. So it never happened. Like, actually, it did happen once where I realized that she was still pissed off at you. And I was like, wait, why is she pissed off? There's so many reasons for her to be concerned with other things, and you've already agreed to try and pay her back and all this. So I had to basically double-check my history and realize that I had not been accounting for certain events. And that's just... That's exactly like what uh, Michael pointed out and what we haven't talked about in the goals and uh, motivations is keep a tracker. Keep uh, notes. Keep a... To revalidate your character's feelings and opinions, you know, and just make sure that they're not. Yep. Uh, just make sure that they're consistent with events that have happened, and also allow them to evolve. NPCs yes. are not static; they have to evolve and change. Uh, I think we've used the word malleable. Well, that it, it also exists for their character. Um, we've covered how we're going to change them from big to small. We've also, you know, covered how they can become an ally after being an enemy, or vice versa. So yep. be willing yep. to make that change and evolve them. You might not have to uh, show every small change. Uh, for example, they might be sad about something that happened recently or whatnot. You don't have to exactly show that, but you might also want to keep track of it. Because a bunch of, uh, one small thing might not send them change them. However, if a series of small, saddening things happen repeatedly over a few weeks, usually it becomes apparent in their character. So while you don't have to show every small detail, you still might want to keep it in mind or a list of it somewhere if you can. If you're like me, you kind of have to fly by the seat of your pants, but yeah, every time you do, you get a little bit better at it. Yeah, I think that's... uh... That's a pretty good explanation of all the things that you can do with goals and motivations. Just by keeping track of all of those things about those NPCs, it just allows you to keep things moving forward and keep your consistency. So so I think uh, there's just one other thing we're going to touch on before we wrap this up, and that is giving character... I'm sorry, uh, Jared, yeah, that's correct. Two more things. But uh, we'll just touch on voices pretty quick. I think I just want to talk <laughs> about just kind of using their personalities that you already have in mind and creating voices from that. But And so when I say voices, and I, I think this is important also, uh, I don't just mean, you know, using an accent or changing your voice. You may not even have to change your voice. You can just change the way your speech pattern works. So I have talked about this in our last session, but I think we're going to cover it one more time. And so I was explaining that to Michael before we started by, you know, what I had meant by voices. And I think obviously the first thing we turn to is, you know, do they have an accent? If you're playing in a setting where there is different parts of the world, you know, you know, if we're playing in our own in US, if somebody's from Great Britain or if they're from uh, Ireland or if they're from the Middle East or if they're from China or whatever, we have a pretty good idea of what that person might sound like. 
So that's the the obvious one, but I think moving past that is a lot more important because you can use the personality of that uh, NPC to create a speech pattern. And so I think that's the one that you want to look at more often is, you know, what what how does that personality that they have affect their speech pattern? So if you have somebody who's a melancholy person, obviously they're not going to speak like I do really fast. They're going to be kind of sad and draw out their way that they talk. And so if I had a melancholy person and then I came in and I'm like, oh, this is John and he sounds like this. And then I'm like, oh, and this is Bill. And Bill comes in and he's like, hey, what's going on, guys? And Bill's always happy and upbeat. When I have Bill and John in the same room, you're going to know which one's talking. So I think that's when it becomes important to know what their speech pattern is. But if you guys have something you'd like to put in on that, I'd open it up to you guys. I want to say something real quick, Michael. I saw you about to speak, and I'm just going to snip in here. Uh, something that he I didn't hear how you repeat, Jason, but I heard earlier in the preamble was the cadence. And I want to touch on that real quick and say cadence is also very important for speech pattern. Uh, you might talk fast. You might talk fast only when talking about certain topics. You might have long run-on sentences. Adding a certain up-and-down cadence to your voice or even your body language really adds a lot and helps somebody helps a character come to life and stand out um that's all i wanted to say real quick before michael take over <laughs> tell us a long story before i take over so let us just interrupt you comes i will tell you a long story so when uh when i talk about an npc and their cadence or their quirks I usually build it off of somebody that I've uh, met or a voice actor will often be some inspiration for those things uh, because an actor has a way of using not only accents but also um, the personality comes through the words. One of the first experiences I had with this was I was running a, uh, a D20 Star Wars game and the players were... Smugglers. They were moving arms and, and product between the inner planets and the outer planets. But they ran into this guy that he was first certain that he had the best armor in the galaxy for them to sell. And he presented it that way. He was a used car salesman. I had met a few of them and they would always kind of always have something right behind it. And they always used a catchphrase. And that catchphrase would really catch on. And so this guy, his name was Bernard, and Bernard had the best armor in, on the planet. Started out on the planet. And after they did a few jobs for this guy, he got richer. And so he expanded, and his, his catchphrase would grow and grow. And before you knew it, it was the best armor in the galaxy, and he was advertising everywhere. They would go to planets, and they would see his advertisements of the best armor in the galaxy. Of course, it all ended when he decided to promote one of the PCs with his best set of armor. And in the first um, combat they got into, that character <laughs> got a hole blow through his chest and he died. 
and the PCs came back and said, your armor's not the best in the galaxy. Our our friend is dead. <laughs> now, of course, Bernard changed as I went along, and he also changed at that moment. He He lost all of his business. He collapsed, and they later found him, and he was just a bum begging for change on the street. So his cadence and his catchphrases were how I built that character. And I think that if you can find speech patterns, as Jason was talking about, and latch onto it, when I saw this topic, I was I was a little concerned because I don't do accents. Um, but Jason made me realize that I do other things that help kind of give life to an NPC. Jason does really good accents that sometimes I'm a little frightened by them. Because <laughs> when I hear them, I get chills. Because I know my character's either going to be annoyed by that that accent or... I'm going to not really feel comfortable talking to him, but he'll do it. He, he does not mind. Uh, he'll creep me out with some of his accents. Yeah, the creepy mayor was probably the most memorable. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Honestly, where did that creepy mayor come from? So he was under the curse of a hag. And when I was thinking about how to do his voice, I thought of the movie uh, Coraline and everybody in that movie that was on the like dark side that had the button thrice they they had this different move to them and so when I did his cadence I was thinking of waves like this uh, uh, I say like this of like his arms up and down you know I, it, him moving up and down was the cadence of his voice so it would go up <laughs> and down and <laughs> Okay, you can stop now. And I still have nightmares. And that was how I came up with that voice. So, yeah, cadence is a huge thing. And just knowing that personality, what are their, all of the stuff that we've talked about already, when you know that about a character, it gives you an idea of what their voice can be like. So I think, for me, voices are the hardest thing to do for randos. And that's why I had talked about in the notes having some maybe some ideas about some random like cadences or some random speech patterns that you can just grab off of the screen and throw to a rando. Because I think anytime someone runs into a rando in my game, it's like, oh, uh, yeah, they sound like me when I'm talking. <laughs> so um, because I don't have any personality for them yet. And I think that's where you can always ask the players like, oh, what is this person's um. personality? But. I want anyway. to take over real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Dude. I do... Uh, on the topic of inspiration, I actually don't like looking for actors or whatnot like Michael does. I will occasionally look for characters in a book or a game or something and model them off of that. But I also prefer... I prefer pulling from abstract. Because that will give me a different character even if I use the same materials. Um... For example, I have a character in an upcoming game that's based off of a music video uh, by, I don't remember who, but it's called A Little Messed Up or Messed Up or something like that. And it's literally like uh, in a rundown apartment, uh, a guy and his girlfriend are kind of trying to flirt, but also are fighting at the same time. Meanwhile, this big guy is over just completely lost in creating music. And they're just pretty much being 
aggressive with each other and dismissive of each other at first because they've probably been in that apartment for too long and they're, you know, cooped up and not... They're having a bit of a spat. And as the music goes on, eventually they start calming down and then they all sit down and play poker and have fun. But the entire music song, along with the video, is basically trying to describe just the uncertainty of emotions and all that, and how you never really figure yourself or others out, and you kind of just go along with what's going on. I have a character that's entirely based around that setup. They are an incredibly complex character, and I put a lot of effort into them. And I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I can tell you one thing. I had a lot of fun doing that, and I'm going to have a lot of fun acting out that character's actions, even if I don't have a good voice for her, because I can't do voices, and even speech patterns are pretty difficult, and hers is going to be one that's going to be impossible for me. Which is going to bring me to the other side of this, which is corks. Little hand movements, uh, body language, not only your own, but simply telling your players something like, yeah, he keeps talking to you about uh, the sales pitch. He keeps giving you the sales pitch. But every time he's doing it, his like fingers are like tapping out a, a musical number on the table. Almost as if he's just kind of repeating whatever he's saying without really thinking about it. And that adds a lot to the character. It adds a lot to the image of the character in the player's minds. To just tell them his or her actions as they're interacting with him. Or to physically display that as you're talking through the character. Well, that also gives... And that's something that I'm going to be doing a lot. I was going to say that also gives, like, that cue to the players, like, maybe you should investigate this a little deeper, or, you know what I mean? The quirks can be a you can also sound off and pull triggers. So, yeah. (laughs) You always feel triggered about anything I say, Michael. I feel triggered right now. It's okay, though. You just have to listen to my words and edit them later. (laughs) <laughs> Shaking his head at me. Uh, okay, so Jared, yeah, jump into our last subject here. Okay. The last subject is really going to pull from the cues, not the voices that we were just talking about, and as well as the goals and motivations. And I purposely wanted to bring this one up because while we focus a lot on communicative NPCs, whether they're human, dragon, whether it's a video on a console, whatever. All of these kind of interact with a back and forth between the players. What do you do for a pack of wolves or something that's just supposed to be a, f- a fight on the roadside? Are you just going to treat it entirely mechanically and, you know, just have them be a bag of hit points to be hit by the players? I don't like doing that. I like to give even my monstrous NPCs who have no way of communicating with the players... Uh, goals and motivations, as well as corks. For example, that pack of wolves. If they're hungry, then they might be desperate and attacking the party group. However, if the party group throws out some meat, they're not going to care about the party group. They're going to eat the meat, even if it's poisoned. As long as they can't tell it's poisoned, of course. But, um, it's, it offers, uh, if you have goals and motivations, it offers ways out for the players, even if they don't aren't aware of them, or they might try them like, oh, last time we threw out a bunch of meat and the wolves left us alone. Well, the next encounter with wolves, maybe the wolves actually have rabies and they are just going to fight to the death because they are diseased and out of their minds. 
And this really lends a lot of uniqueness to even the same combat encounters. It can also build a story. Why are these creatures ra- uh, in, uh, have rabies? Is it just a disease going around in the woods? Or maybe it's more nefarious. Maybe there's a dark energy permeating throughout the woods that is increasing critter's aggression. It adds a lot uh, when you add goals and motivations, even if the NPC has no way of communicating with the poet. Uh, what were you going to say, Jason? Or if it was, say, if they were hungry and you did fight them, if they f- were at all injured, they're going to run away because, like, obviously the food isn't worth it Eventually, for them yeah. to try. Like, if they know they're going to lose this fight, they, you know, or how hungry are they? Or if it's, say, um, a mother trying to protect her pups, she's going to fight until she's dead because she's trying to protect her pups. And then they're going to find those pups afterwards and feel terrible that they just murdered those pups' mother. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I I think building that, you know, background, you know, information around that pack of wolves and what is their motivation, what keeps them coming at you is, yeah, very important. Because obviously, yeah, they're not going to be able to communicate it to you. (laughs) It makes the game feel more like a story or more like a real life situation rather than a mechanic of game, video game where you're just killing wolves because they're there to be killed. And that's something that I really strive for. Um, I have no idea what that was about, and I'm not going to talk any more about it. Uh, so I think that what you're talking about is yeah. exactly what we all understand about NPCs. They are tools for the story. Whether they're wolves in the forest, and they have a background that's connected to an NPC, or it's just Mother Nature... Uh, allowing them to do what they normally do. They are a tool for sharing the story. And whether you push them towards the players or they just stumble across them, I think it's your way of communicating through that NPC. Um, Well, now two points. I originally had one. And that is, uh, when he says story... I think I'm correct in this, but I want to make sure and I want to clarify for listeners. You're not talking about just goals or, you know, milestones in the campaign. You're just talking about everyday narration, adding life to the narration and making it a proper story, not goal-wise, story-wise, right? Right, because we've been talking about shared narrative for a long time. And we keep going forward with that. And this is just an element of adding, you know, some real world flavor to it. And then the second thing is, uh, for me, that thing where you said you're, it's a GM's way of communicating with the party. It, I don't know if it really is for me because I really like to just throw out random things that even I don't know about to happen just because of the area you're in. And then I like to make a situation out of it and play it by my toes. And uh, I don't know why I said play it by my toes. It was a really weird word choice. That was a very confusing <laughs> analogy. But yeah, I, I don't. I think I, I, I mixed two analogies point. together and it caught me off guard. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. just all agree to forget about yeah. that. You know, <laughs> people, people who in glass, people who live in glass houses sink ships, <laughs> fill it up with water. I, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, I don't always have a point to get across when I throw wolves at the party or when somebody robs the party. 
it's just an event that happened in the story, and now they have to deal with it. When I'm talking about story, I'm talking about yeah how the setting is interacting with the players. The setting being the bl- backdrop of the world and the NPCs, and the story is how the M- the PCs are interacting with that. So that's kind of the bridge there. How many definitions do we have for story now? I don't like that. Well, anyways, so let's not get fixated on that. One of the words have lots that, of definitions. What was that, both of you? And I'm not going to try and. Sorry. Uh, I said words have. Say, lo- I said words have lots of definitions. Oh, okay. Okay. One of the things that I had read a while back, and this is back when I was just exclusively um, working on my D and D skills, was that you want to stay away from just throwing out random encounters. Because if it's not something that ties to the story, then it's really, you're just throwing, you know, hit points at players to attack. But on that same note, it looks as though Jared has found a way for those random encounters to help him move his story forward or create more new story. So my question for you, Jared, would be, if you're doing that, are you doing that to create story that you don't have, or are you doing that to kind of drag out the storyline, or what would be the... To be honest, the reason that I usually do it is to get them to engage with their surroundings and learn more about what is going on in the world around them, which, in my opinion, especially in such an open world, like... To be clear, my Divided Coast is a overly, overly open world scenario where I have no storyline. I pretty much just allow the players to do whatever they want, and then I react to it. And so that if I had an actual goal and a campaign I wanted to take them through, I would do a lot less of it. However, as I don't have that, I'm kind of just using it as a vehicle to get them to learn about the surroundings. Okay, okay. Yeah, see, that kind of answers that question yeah. right there. Because I wouldn't... Most of the time, I have my stuff pre-written. I don't do a whole lot of open world. Uh, I just... I mean, I have before, but it just doesn't work for my brain very well. So, I usually have storylines. But that gives an idea of when's a good time to use that. So, I'm glad that you uh, brought that up. Yes, and I'm actually happy you brought it up as well, because clarifying that is probably important. Uh, I do want to, real quick, because I feel like you're about to wrap up, and I know we need to, but I did want to say, along with goals and motivations for just the, and deciding how to go, how the monster is going to go about interacting with the players, giving them quirks to get, or to communicate with them non-verbally, or to communicate with the players non-verbally, is also a really good idea. Like I mentioned earlier, if you take a group of wolves, give them shaggy fur and open wounds dripping black juices, the players are immediately going to be going, there's something fucked up here. And it's going to immediately raise flags, it's going to give them information, it's going to make them make a decision whether to investigate or to retreat or whatnot. So you giving corks to animals or other monstrous entities that can't communicate does give them a form of communication. Uh, you could also describe them as being gaunt and skinny or, you know, having foaming mouths. It, it helps 
giving quarks helps give voices as well. Did I say that decently? Yes, yes. Okay. You're talking about communication without communication, and we had talked about that beforehand, so I think you said that pretty well. Okay. And so now we'll turn to Michael for his final thoughts. <laughs> so, as NPCs are your tools, and they are something that you create ahead of time or at the moment, they are crucial story elements to help with your setting. Players have to have something to interact. If you don't have NPCs of you know either form, how are they going to interact with the setting? How are they going to have a story? So these pieces of the puzzle, the larger picture, to me are almost as important as the PCs. I, I put them almost on the same level. So you need to put some time in and make sure that when you fashion out your NPCs, that they have everything that you want to put into your setting in this, in this package. So make sure that that's where you're putting the focus when it comes to how you want your story to be presented, because they're going to be how that's presented. That's what we were talking about beforehand, and that's why we called it synergy building, because you're using all of the elements to create one whole picture, and I think NPCs play a, a big part of that synergy building, and that's why I tagged it as synergy building. We never talked about it, we thought about it, and then we never did, but Michael's words are the definition of what our title was. So, It's definitely not a corporate tie-in. <laughs> yes, it doesn't have anything to do with... Unless somebody wants to give us some money. We will happily <laughs> take money. <laughs> Team building by the 7th level podcast. How you and your <laughs> managers can get along. Hey, you might laugh at that, but I had a great idea on how to use the blade system to create a, it actually would a team building exercise. You, it is a great one for management. You could. You really could. <laughs> Make them play. You're going to play the accountant today. I don't know anything about accounting. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, nice. All right. Okay. Well, unless uh, anybody else has anything to add, I think we've covered the subject pretty good tonight. So, uh, I mean, I, I do will... have a I have a complaint that I'm going to oh, make goodness. real quick. Here we go. Uh, Michael, words have a lot of meanings. You're all right. And I agree with that. However, when we're doing a podcast, using the same word to describe multiple things is generally not a good idea. I'm not going to have this discussion with you right now because I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Are you speaking of story? Yes. The way I use it as a general term? I, I was literally um, just... Dis or <laughs> I'll be honest. It was... It was completely joking but we might want to talk about how often each of us use or at least me and you michael use the word story for like four different definitions at this point and we might be confusing people but you know i i blame jared jason for it well you know what yeah. actually this is good if we use the same words they'll be confused and they'll have to re listen to the episode so we'll get more views <laughs> Marketing genius right there. Oh my that goodness. is genius. Sign us out, Jason. 
All right. Well, you guys have a great night. <laughs> I've been Jason. This has been Mike. And this is Jared. Bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye. This has been a production of 7th Level Bardcast. Copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to 7th Level Bardcast. You can find links to previous shows, resources, and our social media at 7thLevelBardcast.com. Also, through our Discord link on the website, we invite our audience to join us to offer feedback or suggest a topic or for a quick conversation. If you wish to support the show, like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. Music provided by Arthur Venke.